This episode is presented by Learn Worlds. Did you know that creating an income online or adding a new revenue stream to your business has never been easier? Well, that got my attention. Have you ever considered taking your knowledge, skills, and expertise and converting it into a course that you can sell online? Introducing Learn Worlds. Learn Worlds makes it easy to create, host, and sell beautiful online courses that have an impact. I teach courses at colleges all the time. I already have a few ideas. With Learn Worlds' intuitive platform and a wealth of resources to educate yourself, you're only a few steps away from building a thriving online business in the booming knowledge economy. Visit trylearnworlds.com slash free to start your 30-day free trial. Now stay tuned for Sports with Friends. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. Thank you for subscribing, thank you for downloading, but if you're hearing this, you're already doing that, so thanks, I, I appreciate it. A uh, lot going on in the sports world, a lot going on with the podcast, and we are pleased to have a really, really great guest this week. Uh, we will introduce him in a moment. It's also week two in the NFL preseason. Can't believe I'm saying that, but we'll welcome in the head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com, Patrick Morrow. Patrick, what are we talking about today? We're talking week two NFL preseason. That means, thank goodness, only one more to go. Sounds great. Looking forward to that. Uh, our next guest, I first became aware of him uh, when I used to listen to uh, my old radio station, KJR in Seattle. Uh, he was on the radio all the time. And because of technology and emerging technology, I was able to listen, even though I wasn't living in Seattle anymore. And that was one of the ways. And then when he moved on to the Washington Post, I just became an admirer and an admirer from afar. And uh, we are pleased to welcome in the national sports columnist for the Washington Post, my friend, Jerry Brewer. Jerry, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, man, no, no problem. I'm glad to be number 313. I believe that is Detroit. Michigan. That's so, Detroit, yes. Yeah. 313, baby. That's, that's right. That's right. Well, you're not the, one of the bitter uh, people who come on and go, you've done 300 goddamn episodes. You haven't had me on. Yet. <laughs> I never. I, there's no good answer to that because, yes, I cannot turn back time. I don't know what to what to tell you. Um, how has uh I can't believe you've been with the Washington Post for a while. And, you know, I always have this uh, this theory out there that the last three newspapers that will be going strong when all is said and done are the Boston Globe, the New York Times and the Washington Post, mostly because of ownership. But I just feel like they are the bastions of journalism. Um, what has it been like for you to work for the Washington Post as somebody who has written a lot of different places? Is there a certain gravitas to having Washington Post under your byline? Oh, absolutely, man. And you feel that from the first day that you're there. As a matter of fact, I used to put so much pressure on myself. I arrived there in June 2015. So our youngest son had just turned three. Our oldest son had just turned three and our, our youngest son was in the womb. Um, and so like I'm moving my wife all the way out to, um, so, you know, almost swamp like, you know, humid DC when she's months and months pregnant. And I was just like struggling on, on columns. Like I, I tell you what, Seth, I would, sometimes I would like start a column at three o'clock 
and not finish it until midnight. And I just be in that office, just pouring over every single word, trying to get it right, really feeling that pressure. Mm-hmm. When you think about the post, I mean, you think about Shirley Povich, sure. uh, one, one of the great greats who wrote every single day. Um, you know, Dave Kendrick came through there, obviously. Uh, Mike Wilbon, Tony Kornheiser, John Feinstein, the list goes on and on and on and on. And you do feel the weight of that. And especially when you have the job, like the, the, uh, I remember talking to Wilbon once after I got there and he's like, what's your extension? I told him my extension. He's like, that's the extension I had for 30 years. Mm. And I'm like, damn, I mean, that's like, to me, that's like that's like having a, a certain locker in the locker room. Yes, absolutely. You're in like Jordan's locker. Or, yeah, or, yeah. I'm trying to think of like a you went Jordan. Child. I was thinking Jeter, but for some reason, but yes, like it's the same thing. Yes, absolutely, man. Like you know, for me, like uh, growing up with baseball, like it was Ryan Sandberg. You know, uh-huh. I was a second baseman. I, I idolized him. I watched WGN and the Cubs every day, and it was just like that's the way it felt to me. Like I really felt the weight of that. And you had to just kind of calm down and relax and just get back to the basics. You don't have to be them. Uh, you honor them in being the best of yourself. I think that there's a certain level of uh, question marks around journalism, in, especially in sports. Um, I'll give you a case in point. Uh, the constant Zooms, the disconnection with players. Um, I feel like there has been a a void of hearing the second baseman of the Brewers story. Um, It's something that was exacerbated for, I think from the Olympics, because in every instance, like, you know, every track guy has some crazy story and that's what it becomes about. But the stories of the eighth man on the bench of an NBA team doesn't get told. And that's because the journalists can't go up to them after shoot around and say, Hey, can you stick around one day this week? Uh, you know, just talk for 20 minutes. Cause you got to go through media relations and you got to get on a zoom and you, you got to set all these things up. And you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to have a whole COVID conversation, but do you get the sense that journalism took a hit during these last 18 months? Yes, absolutely. I think in terms of the connection um, and in terms of like a fairness, you know, I mean, at this point now, it's a real struggle to just be able to, to fill out stories and to, to get all those voices, make sure that they're heard um, and make sure that you're getting the full picture of things. And so it becomes a competition to just be able to be as fair to the people who will actually talk to you. And I think front office types are more inclined to like do that because that's sort of in their everyday responsibilities than players where it's always been, oh, well, you just come to the locker room and get me. You just come to the clubhouse and get right. me. Not not having that. And I felt, you know, I, I mean, I've had some conversations with players who have said like, we, you know, I feel like you're being unfair to me. I feel like you're being unfair to us. And you're really only telling management side of the story. And I'm like, that's because we can't get to you easily. Right. And, um, you know, you change your number five times, and you know, all, all of these things, um, you know, you text me or I text you, you don't text back <laughs> like right. the, those, like, it's just a lot it's not harder. for a lack of trying. It's it, people yeah. are still trying to do the job. We have to just be more intentional. And like some of the things you were talking, like the, the backups and that, you know, maybe the number eight hitter and those sort of things. 
I've always called those kind of bargain hunting. Like we're not talking to the stars, but we're talking to the people who have really great stories to tell. Right. And the people who are really like the fabric um, of the team and have like a totally different perspective because it's not all about them. Uh, they really do enrich your stories and they really do enrich your understanding of these franchises and organizations and not being able to, to access them as easily. Cause those are the people, I mean, think about it, stuff like when you're just standing around and you're chit-chatting, you know, I'm thinking about pregame and baseball, like a lot of times those are the guys that you're talking to that person who's the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th man on the roster. And those conversations are just so wonderful and enriching and like, now everything is transactional you in order to do these interviews you have to like be using it for something right. where a lot of the times like the great thing about covering sports is always, just be a conversation right yeah you're just you don't need anything i just came to the ballpark just to kind of enjoy a ball game and just to talk to you today i don't need anything from you i just want to get right. to know you right we don't get to have those anymore and yes the journalism has suffered more with Jerry Brewer in just a second, but first, it's week two of the NFL preseason. Plus, if you're listening to this podcast on the day it was released, wow, yesterday, Tim Tebow was released by the Jacksonville Jaguars. We welcome in the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow, and Patrick, Tim Tebow, no longer a Jaguar. And I know everyone's thinking, Seth, what did this do to the futures markets for the Jacksonville Jaguars? And it did nothing. Of it course, did it didn't move the needle nothing. at all. Uh, Tim Tebow was... Uh, was there you know, a prop was, bet on does Tebow make the team? There, uh, You know, unfortunately with Tebow, uh, Tebow gets clicks, whether it's ESPN, Fox, everywhere else. So, uh, and you know, in Bavada, we're, <laughs> we are in the business of servicing those clicks as much as uh, I might have to roll my eyes. So we did have props on whether he would make the team, whether he would score a touchdown this year. Uh, our, our, one of my favorite ones was actually, would he catch a touchdown pass? Uh, at, uh, we had that at five to one this year as well, because there was a chance that he could maybe run one in. I actually thought it would be kind of cool. I know, uh, you know, I can see you rolling your eyes up, but if he did a jump pass to Trevor Lawrence, oh, I think God. that would be uh, kind of fun. Trevor Lawrence is a wide receiver as a one-off. That could have been fun to see, but you know what? It's hopefully, because I've said this more than a few times, I said it on his first NFL stint. I said it when he was trying to make a, something happen with the Mets. I'm saying it again now. Hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about Tim Tebow and sports betting at Bavada. Still uh, week two in the preseason. If you thought there were a lot of nationally televised games, there are 10 nationally televised games. Wow. Um, that, that's a lot. Let's start with the Thursday night matchup, New England and Philadelphia. New England at Philadelphia on Thursday night. Taking a look at that now. And the New England Patriots currently minus one and a half point favorites at Bavada over under of 38 and a half there. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, we, we, we crap, or at least I crap on the pre NFL preseason, uh, you know, fairly regularly. But uh, having as many nationally televised games does translate into that much more betting. So, uh, you know, if a game's just on the local CBS affiliate in New York, eh, you know, we're maybe not paying as much attention to it. But when these games are on NFL networks, if they're on Fox National or ESPN across the board, uh, those are opportunities for us because we know they're going to see uh, that many more eyes that we will raise the limits for these games. So players will have this week with so many nationally televised games, so many more betting opportunities, so many more chances to get their money down. And for all of these games that are nationally televised, Seth, we will have live betting for all of them. 
something that we didn't have in week one. So there's just going to be so many different ways for folks to bet these games at Pavada. All right. Uh, then the Friday, there's uh, two games. One, in, at least in the United States, is on ESPN versus NFL Network. Uh, Kansas City at Arizona and Cincinnati, Washington. Yeah, Chiefs are currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Bovada with the over-under of 41, one of the highest over-unders uh, in the preseason. Again, preseason generally a lot less scoring as teams are trying to uh, really work out the kinks and not uh, necessarily try and score and score fast. Uh, the other game, Bengals at uh, Washington football team. Washington football team currently four-and-a-half-point favorites at Bovada. Uh, one of the more lopsided uh, positions of the week as we're taking 75% of bets on that game on the Washington football team over-under currently sitting at 34 and a half one of the lower over-unders posted on the board this week Seth Saturday there are four nationally televised games let's start it off with Buffalo and Chicago at Soldier Field uh the New York Jets travel to Green Bay why uh Detroit <laughs> takes on Pittsburgh and uh the Los Angeles Rams host the Las Vegas Raiders. Their stadium looked cool, uh, the Vegas Raiders, last week. I saw that against Seattle, but uh, this time the, the Raiders are on the road to take on the Rams. Two teams that used to be Los Angeles. Then one was in Oakland. Then one was in St. Louis. Now one's back in Los Angeles, and the other one's in Las Vegas. Explain Goodness. that. Goodness, Seth. I got whiplash trying to keep track of all of that. If I had but... told you that 20 years ago, you would have been like, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's the Raiders and Rams, uh, two brothers from different mothers, but they've ended up here. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, uh, cool news about the uh, the Raiders, real quick, that uh, they announced that uh, they will be requiring full vaccination for all their home games this year. So we will actually see full fans at LA Va uh, Raider games this year. Uh, Mark Davis himself didn't even go to games last year because he said he didn't want to experience it until the fans could experience uh, what do they call it, the Death Star there uh, in Las Vegas, yeah. that massive, yeah. Uh, it's it's a beautiful looking stadium, you know. Uh, it's it's great that the NFL is there, but getting back to the games itself, we asked why are the New York Jets traveling to Green Bay? Uh, well, it's because the Zach Wilson-led New York Football Jets are two-point road favorites against Green Bay. Green Bay will be resting a lot of starters during this game. We're not going to be seeing much out of Aaron Rodgers and the people that will make up the core of the Green Bay Packers this year. So again, New York Jets two-point road favorites at Bavada and one of the more lopsided decisions of uh, the preseason week this week, Seth. Uh, currently 80% of all money on the New York Football Jets. Not something we're going to be saying a lot this season, so Jets fans better enjoy it while they can. <laughs> um, is this the week where they play most of their starters? Because isn't the last week before the regular season, you don't play anybody? So th this is kind of a weird year, right? Because traditionally we would have four full weeks of preseason plus the right. uh, Hall Usually of Usually the game. closest thing to the regular season is week three, but week three is the final week. So it would probably be week two, right? So I think you're going to see a mix and match with some teams this year where you know, they're maybe going to give them week three. Some t teams will give them week two. If you're the Packers, they're probably not going to give them much of anything because you know what you got with Aaron Rodgers under center. You know what, you, what you've got with Devontae Adams and the embarrassment of riches on that offensive side of the ball. So there's not really too much for these teams to figure out. I, I think more and more, uh, you know, preseason is seems a burden by, te by teams that are established, by teams that know what the sum of their parts are. 
It's about going through the motions, you know, shaking off a little bit of rust, but ultimately just trying to stay healthy. If you're a team like the Jets, who is trying to figure out, trying to turn around from how disastrous the last few years have been, yeah, you've got to put those starters out there. So I think, you know, it does create this weird kind of inverse reaction or inverse expectations, I should say. And the Peyton Manning Colts were one of the best versions of this, where they would routinely go winless in the preseason and then, you know, stomp off, you know, 11, 12 win season year after year. So, uh, you know, again, it speaks to this really being a silly season. This really speaks to being a challenge for odds makers like us at Bavada to handicap games like this. But again, proof's in the pudding. It opened as a pick 'em. Jets currently minus two at Bavada. And then the nightcaps, uh, two of them, uh, Detroit and Pittsburgh. Detroit and Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Steelers currently a five and a half point favorite at Bavada. That over under sitting at 37 and a half uh, so far. Uh, early returns have Detroit after the week one game. Uh, the Ford Field Faithful. Ooh, I didn't think I was going to say that. The Ford Field Faithful. Uh, a pretty pleased so far with their uh, eclectic. You said it rather movement. eloquently, too. Ah, uh, well, you know, everybody has their moment. But, uh, you know, they, they hired this really eclectic coach in the offseason. He looked like every strength coach from every high school football team you've ever seen. And you know what? Through one game, small sample size, uh, it looks like at least on the offensive and defensive line, they figured a little bit out. Uh, again, you try not to make too many assumptions off one game like that. What that means for the preseason, absolutely nothing. But in this game so far, again, off that small sample size, we are seeing 60% of bets at Bavada on the Detroit Lions at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And for more NFL preseason odds, go to the website at bavadasportsbook.com. Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker, thank you so much. Only one more week of preseason. Can't wait, Seth. <laughs> then we get serious. <laughs> now back to our conversation with Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. I think with Instagram and social media and this need for clicks that young journalists are so anxious to take a photo or to get something that they can share in order to advance their career that the, the player, and I'm stereotyping now, but the player, the athlete has put up a wall to say like, I'm not here to help your Instagram. I have my own. And there's this adversarial disconnect that I feel is happening. And yeah, the pandemic played a role in that, but from a sports journalism standpoint, how do people develop relationships that they didn't already have before? I think that if, you're, if, if you've been in the business for a long time, it's osmosis. But a young kids starting out, it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. And then, I mean, I think one, one thing that you said, um, common ground has always been so important in the development of relationships. And I do remember, like you remember, how much easier it was when we were young. You know, I mean, sports is... Uh, especially in major team sports, it's mostly a young man's game. And I think young beat writers are really able to connect. I think, I think about going all the way back when I was in my early 20s in the Philadelphia Eagles locker room for a year, uh, in the Orlando Magic locker room for several years when Tracy McGrady was really rising to fame. Um, they had Mike Miller and Grant Hill and others. Uh, it was a lot easier for me to connect and I loved being in the locker room. Now the people who are my age are like coaches, assistant coaches, right. you know, assistant general managers. Yep. So the connection is different. Uh, 
And so that changes, like, even though you're a veteran guy, like your interests aren't the same, isn't the same as their interests. But yeah, there's that added layer now of we're kind of competitive against each other because athletes have felt like they've been treated unfairly and they've gone out and they've used technology to develop into their own little mini media companies. And they would rather send the message out their way rather than have to go through the filter of the mass media. And uh, yeah, so then it becomes like, well, why do I wanna give you something when I could just send it out myself? Uh, But that even becomes problematic uh, for them on on some levels. And, And then sometimes they become a little um, overexposed, which winds up getting them in trouble. But yeah, as far as it relates to just us, we have to get back to the fundamentals of, I just want to get to know you as a person and you can trust that I am, I'm not always going to tell it the way you see it. Um, but I'm going to be fair and I'm going to be accurate and I'm going to be accountable. And that's show what up. like the pa- show up, show your face. The past year and a half has really affected that accountability. I know there's been a lot of times where it's like, I wrote this, I really wish I could be in front of the person, but you can't be in front of the person. And it's a lot easier to hide behind the technology. You send them a text, they don't get back to you. Uh, um, And next time you see them, as you see them on Zoom, you may ask a question or you may not. It's just different. Like I I, I really do, Seth, I I miss um, just the, the getting your goat and just the inside jokes, making fun of you. Uh, You know, all that stuff is just really healthy um, in the relationship building, you know, just making fun of what you're wearing, uh, you know, you know, telling your buddy in the locker room stall what you hated about that story that they wrote. And then you have a conversation. All that stuff is good. It's healthy. But now everything is like super passive aggressive. Yeah. And that's going to be a problem when we get back in locker rooms full time, if we ever do. It's it's strange. I'm I'm really glad that you, you you bring that up. You know, so much of the early parts of my career were relationships. I mean, you 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 said the question. You know, Ken Griffey Jr., who's been on this podcast a couple of times, um, hated KJR. When I got <laughs> there. He hated KJR. Something Mitch Levy had done just pissed him off, and I had no no idea. I didn't know. I I didn't work there. I was in Colorado. And when I got there, I went up to him and I said, um, you are more than welcome to hate me. I said, plenty of people do. I said, but if you're going to hate me, you're going to know. me. If you get to know me and you still hate me, I'm fine with that. I, I, but don't hate me because it's something that I had literally nothing to do with. Yeah. And he kind of took that and absorbed. And I tell the story all the time. I didn't travel my first year, 98. I didn't travel. And uh, 98 is the Maguire Sosa year. Mm-hmm. And he was right in that run. So this is like at the peak of his career. And uh, they come back after a road trip. And Jennifer Lopez had a new song. She had just started as a singer. She, had, she was an actress, but she had just started as a singer. And the song is called If You Had My Love. It's her first single. <laughs> And uh, at the Kingdom, they played it, but they didn't have like a big video board. So they just played it during batting practice. And I'm standing on the third base line where the media stood, you know, and he's taken batting practice and I'm not, I hadn't seen him, I hadn't talked to him. And he comes over to me and says, you know, this song without the video 
is pointless. <laughs> and that was the start of our friendship. Like that was that was it. That was totally it. And he um, and I just think to myself, like I see these young players now. Um, Noah Syndergaard, just as an example, has blocked so many people on Twitter. People go on Twitter and they go, what did I ever do to this clown? And they, 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 it just feels so adversarial. And that's the only reason why I, I, I wanted to bring it up. This episode of Sports with Friends is sponsored by Storyboard. Is your team burning out from constant video conference calls? Looking for a new way to communicate with employees on the go, no matter where they are? Try bringing a podcast to your workplace with Storyboard. Podcasting is one of the fastest growing channels for companies to build more engaged teams and drive their company culture. A corporate podcast will allow employees to tune into the latest update, catch up on an important training, and more when they're on a walk, commuting, or heading to the grocery store. Storyboard is the leading platform for companies who want to authentically engage their teams with a podcast exclusively for their employees. On Storyboard, employees log into a secure environment and play podcasts anywhere they want on demand, just like you're listening to right now, when it makes sense in their schedule. It's available on all devices, including iPhone, iPad, Android, and the web. Even better, Storyboard can help you create your first podcast, including recording and editing, so no past experience is needed. Employees will receive a push notification to tune in and listen while you receive breakthrough comprehensive analytics to understand how your messages are making an impact. Storyboard supports companies of all sizes, and you can get started for free today with a channel for up to 50 listeners. Join top brands like DHL, Carfax, and HelloFresh by launching your company's first podcast at trystoryboard.com. You've worked in a, in a number of uh, markets. If you could just run through some of the cities that you've been in and what your favorite was and what your least favorite was. Uh, in order, Philadelphia, Orlando, Louisville, Seattle, D.C. And then now, you know, living back in Seattle full time. Um, I don't have a least favorite. Seth, I mean, uh, they were all chapters, right? Yes, they were all chapters that I that I absolutely loved. Uh, Philadelphia was great for me just growing up, coming coming straight out of college in Kentucky, uh-huh. um, going to Philadelphia. You know, I really needed that 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 East Coast mentality, the pace, the intensity of the fans in Philly. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, Orlando was way different. You know, I wanted to go somewhere that was, that was South. I mean, Florida is a whole different caliber of South than say like planet. Tennessee. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it's just crazy world. Uh, but I, you know, I was there almost four years and I really enjoyed that. Got to go home and, and what era uh, of the magic was that? That was the early, uh, two thousands magic. You know, I, I was there from 2001, uh, to 2000 and almost 2005. So that that was that was very much that was Tracy McGrady all the way through. Yeah, I you yeah. know I was I was in Houston when he got traded to Houston, uh-huh. um, and yeah I kind of left like right after he left. Uh, so that I said look that no more era. McGrady I'm out of here. 
Yeah, exactly. Like what, 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 you know, what do I need this uh, for? <laughs> exactly. Like that was, I mean, in that team, like I, I think about the super teams now and like what a team they would have been if Grant Hill had been able to stay healthy. And let's not forget, they were trying to orchestrate this crazy thing where all of them would have taken a little less money a la yep. the Miami Heat yep. in 2010. Yep. Yep. And it would have been Tim Duncan, Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill. And you look at that back at that and you're like, even if Hill, even knowing what happened to Grant Hill, Tim Duncan and Tracy McGrady could Alone. have been a championship yeah. combination. So yeah. it's just kind of, it's, it's crazy to, to, uh, to think about that and think about what the NBA has um, become, but Seattle is going to be my all-time favorite. Uh, just, I got stuck here um, on September 11, 2001. Like mm. I was supposed to, I was, I was here reporting a few stories um, and I was supposed to fly out on September 11th. Uh, a buddy of mine called me. I was asleep. He called me and said, turn on the TV. Right. Cause it was, uh, it happened so early on the East coast and yeah. on the West coast. Yep. I turned on the TV right as the second plane, you know, hit the tower and, um, you know, wound up staying in Seattle for another four or five days. Mm. And, and, you know, and it's in a tragic time like that, like you really do feel the heart of a city. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling myself on that day, but if I get the opportunity to work in Seattle one day, I want to come back here. And that was my first visit out to Seattle. Uh, and then the opportunity presented itself five years later, and I wound up staying for nine years and wow. then coming back. And I, I, I don't imagine, unless it were for family reasons, I don't imagine living anywhere else. You know, I mean, if there, if for some reason I had to go back with closer to my parents, right. yes. But like for quality of life and for where my heart is, it's in this city. Um, it warms my heart to hear you say that uh, Seattle was such a, a massive uh, part of my life. Um, it happened by accident um, and, you know, working there and, and seeing, you know, the evolution and then having gone back through different, different years, uh, it, it's been uh, pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, one of the things that you have never shied away from in sports is talking about uh, issues that can be or perceived as controversial. Do you, but I don't get the sense just from being an observer of you for as long as I have that people are pushing for that. Like you're not, you, you don't have an editor, even at when you were at, I believe it was the Seattle Times, when you were there, they weren't looking for salacious stuff from you. But if you had a story to tell, if you had a point to make, you wanted to make it, no matter what the backlash would be. And sometimes this becomes a social media conversation, but it's something that you have worn as like a badge of honor. Um, is that something conscious? Did that evolve over time? Um, you know, there's this, there's this whole stick to sports mentality and I don't believe in it. I, I think that sports and society go hand in hand. I think COVID was the best example of that you know, watching college football fight over whether or not to play and stuff like that. It was completely a microcosm of what was going on in the world. And that's just one example, but there mm -hmm. are, 
there are other examples and you just don't seem to be afraid of anything, but you seem to do it because you're self-motivating, not because someone's saying, hey, get to the nitty gritty of this Naomi Osaka. I need to know what's inside her mind. Like that doesn't seem like what drives you. It seems like you drive you. Uh, yes. Um, you know, I, I really like, did, appreciate... I, did I have that pegged? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think you've got it. I think you really do have me pegged right. Like um, one of my one of my standards, you know, I mean, I think it's really important, you know, as you build out your career, you have to have your own standards of success so you don't get caught up in what's hot or, or the hype of it all or, or trying to be something that you're not. Um, my number one standard is integrity of thought. And when I say integrity of thought, that means that um, you can trust as a reader, whether you agree with me or not, that the words that I write are something that I truly think and something that I have pondered deeply and considered the weight of everything. And um, for me, early in my career, like I was just happy, you know, I'm just trying to figure it out, you know, and just trying to figure out, especially as a, as a sports columnist, like how to have opinions about sports that resonate. Uh, as I've gotten older, I think you've seen how I've grown into a man and uh, like my view of the world has really I crystallized. Say it's like you were Pinocchio, but now you're a real live boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like my view of the world has really crystallized and I'm just sharing that perspective through sports. Uh, I, I think um, I, I think as I've gotten older, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things in sports that um are really tradition based that we don't think deeply about. Like it's just, we've always done it, so we do it. And there's a lot of things that um, in the screaming and shouting and yelling and just yucking it up in sports uh, can become problematic. And especially when we decide to assign like a greater importance to sports. Like we love to assign a great importance to sports when it's about, um, you know, oh, that moment helped us heal or oh, this, you know, uh -huh. th those sort of things. Like it really brought us together, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, but there are things connected to sports that aren't necessarily beneficial to society sometimes. Some of the, and some of these conversations that we have through sports because it's safe, they wind up becoming like uh, prequels to the American experience. Like these things bubble up and they manifest themselves in sports long before we really experience them in society. And I've, I've tried to like identify those places and those conversations. And I wanna live there because that's how I live my life. And if I feel like I have something to say that's smart, that's not, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a hot take guy. I hate hot takes. Right. Um, but, I, but I'll try to still say something that's thought provoking. Um, people can decide for themselves whether it's provocative or not. Or not, but it is thought provoking. If I can bring that to the sports conversation, I'm more than willing to try because that really fits my life. I mean, there's things about sports as a sports fan that I love, and there's things that I'm just really general about nowadays. Mm -hmm. And then there's just a whole lot of other life to have to deal with. And that just like I'm, I've changed. Like I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father of two kids. You know, I'm an uncle. Uh, you know, I, I'm. As my I'm an parents, uncle, but I never tell people that. <laughs> I must be a bad uncle. Continue. But they're just, you know, I mean, I, yeah, and, and you get to that age also where 
um, your parents and your grandparents, they're old. And so you become kind of like a caretaker of them in some ways. Um, and that changes you uh, as well. So I think all of that, like if, if someone looked at me, you know, over the arc of what has now been an 18 year career writing columns um, and, and a 21 year career in journalism, I think you will see like every five years, you'll start to see that shift. But I hope people would still say like, hey, you still remind me of that kid at 22 years old in Philadelphia, the way you would form sentences and the way you would think about things. Well, I, I could talk about this kind of stuff with you forever. I, I did promise that if I'm going to have Jerry Brewer on, I got to ask him some hot takes on some sports topics uh, because there's so much going on in, in, in sports. And uh, I, I would just I'm curious to get your perspective uh, on them. Uh, the first one is I, I wanted to ask about two individuals that are so very different, but are going to get lopped together in this conversation about mental health. And that is Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. Um, Simone Biles, there were two very underreported things. I, I was I was I was disenfranchised with the way that was covered. Because on the one hand, you know, the twisties are a real thing. It's a form of vertigo. It's a, it's a, it was a real sports injury, you know, her losing her balance in midair, that that's a, that's a thing. And then there's this deep hatred that she has for the USOC and uh, USA gymnastics. And neither one of those was very, was talking about it. And when she pulled out of the events immediately, the media compared her to Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka is a person who gets very anxious mm -hmm. and her anxiety is a very natural thing. It's, it's part of her life. And I think as she gets older, she will work through it. I thought that uh, I know at the time of this uh, uh, podcast, if you're listening to this in the future, you know what happened in the 2021 U S open. So, you know, also tell me how the flying car is. Um, but <laughs> But uh, that Cincinnati uh, reporter was uh, obnoxious to her, and I thought Naomi handled herself very well. But none of what I saw in Naomi Osaka resembles Simone Biles in any way. And they were lopped together in this women mental health thing. And I just thought I wanted to get your take on just how separate these stories are and your stance on both of them. Yeah, that's how flat the conversation can be sometimes in sports when it's bigger than sports, Seth. And I think that becomes a problem. Like, um, you know, I, I thought uh, there are parallels to maybe like the conversation about um, protest during the national anthem and why people are protesting. Like that all got just lumped yes. in there. And like people would not really go into the soil of it and really draw that out. That was also the, grossly misreported because yes. Colin Kaepernick wasn't talking to the mainstream media. She, he, he was only talking in front of his locker and no one was getting it. And everyone, he had such a great message to send and he wasn't sending it. Yeah. And everybody's just kind of like focused on just that, just the, the, the high points of it all, as opposed to like really getting into the meat of it. And in but this were you, case, were you the, before you say that, 
were you the columnist that wrote about the Seahawk player that was kneeling? And when somebody asked the Seahawk player why they were kneeling and all they said was to support Colin, like they didn't even know no, why I, he was I, kneeling. I remember that. Um, but uh, no, I was, I was, I was in DC by then. Okay. Uh, but I do remember that clearly. I was like, what in the world? Like that's where I'm at. The today like, show in good morning America would have mud wrestled for Colin Kaepernick to go in studio there were literally there are two all sports radio stations in San Francisco that would have given Colin Kaepernick an hour commercial free to talk about police brutality like he had the world at his shoulders and he did nothing and he did none of that. But anyway, it, it, yeah, that, 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 that becomes, that's a tangent. And that's what happens on this podcast. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, there's a reason why um, the most effective, say, civil rights leaders are the ones who love to talk and will talk yeah. to anyone regardless of how they feel about it. And there's sort of like, there's a, um, a passivity sometimes uh, to, to Colin's message that didn't get received. But also, I mean, when he said it, like I, I put a lot of like onus on people to like, listen, like we don't listen anymore. Like he pretty said clear, he said clearly what he was talking about. And like, I wish people would listen more. That's what, everything becomes hard in this world to get a message across because there's so much noise. Right. And anyone who's ever, say, written a book understands that, like how much marketing you have to do. Yeah, yeah. And then sure. like four months later, somebody's like, man, you wrote a book? He's <laughs> like, man, like I felt like I was just blowing up, you know, everywhere. And like, you didn't even know that I wrote that. But getting back to the to the core of this. Yeah. So um, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. The generalization of mental health, just not explaining it, just throwing it out there under this umbrella. Because you're right, like. In one case, we're talking about anxiety. In another case, you're talking about trauma, yep. you know, in, in, in Simone Biles' case. And then the, the just the mental hurdle of like not knowing like what her body's doing in the air, the twisties aspect of it, how that messes with your mind. We are going to have to be more specific in really diving into that so that people can, because there's going to be a lot of athletes who, say say those words mental health and we're just going to throw out the buzzword but we're really not going to get to the root of it and this is really about to blow up Seth when we get into the team sports aspect of it it's different for individuals because it's like all right as much as people wanted to say like Simone um you know you mess up our chance at a at a gold medal well i mean no not really like she probably salvaged a medal for them by stepping away because she wasn't going to be able to get it done um and in osaka's case it's like all right you don't want to compete in the french open and wimbledon you need to take a break like that's sort of like a her thing and so i think we kind of get that even with like shakari richardson and the marijuana and doing it for self-care because she was really traumatized learning that 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 her mother died. Um, yet, yet Russia has literally guys that were doping on. They were literally <laughs> injecting themselves in the stadium, and yeah. they were okay. They they can compete, but uh, that was that was a crazy story. It was a crazy story, but it just kind of like we have to be able to spell that out. And in team sports, it's going to become a lot more difficult because a lot more people are really invested in the ins and outs of all of these teams, and they're going. There's a lot more passion involved. And they're going to feel some type of way when the star running back fumbles the ball three times and they lose because he fumbled the ball three times. And he's telling you that mentally he wasn't right. Right. Um, or the next time that there's a Bill Buckner 
Like imagine that yeah. in baseball where yeah. just somebody just, you know, bips it or somebody gets, yeah. you know, somebody gets the, you know, yips, you know, like they can't, they can't throw the ball to first base. All of these things that, that happen, um, when they start happening in major league baseball and the NFL and the NBA, uh, with the passion that's involved there, even the NHL, I think there's going to be a different kind of um, reaction to it and a different kind of reckoning about that. And I'm not looking forward to that because I think that's going to be ugly and it's going to be really hard to get through to people because, you know, fans, fans of those sports, like they see their team's colors above all, above all. Right. And like it's the old Seinfeld um, line, it's the, you root for laundry. Yes. And that they're going to continue to root for that laundry and they're not going to really see the heart of it sometimes. So that's going to be a really difficult conversation to have, but you're right. We really have to be able to spell out what we're talking about when we say mental health. I think that leads yeah. to more empathetic storytelling about it. Okay. Uh, switch gears. I am having a really hard time uh, reading coverage of watching fans of the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> they have the first pick in the draft. They have this Trevor Lawrence, who seems delightful. Um, you know, I don't know him, but he seems it seems like enough guy. I couldn't understand how any organization, pro or college, could hire Urban Meyer after it was revealed that he knew that one of his assistant coaches at Ohio State was beating his own wife and did nothing about it. And when I saw that, I, 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 there's so much hype around Urban and Lawrence and the Jaguars and ticket sales are up and he's created this buzz and no one knows if he's going to be a success or not. But the reality of it is, is I don't even have a horse in the race and I don't want them to ever win a game. I <laughs> want them to lose every game. I just, I hate the existence how do you cover that objectively? And what's your thought on it's a different scenario. So we should take urban Meyer for what he is. Uh, that's a really tough one. You know, I mean, guys, an asshole. and a lot of us like wipe our hands of it because it's, it, you know, it happened in college football and like, he's now in the pros. Um, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that easy. You know, I think the thing that it leads me to is, how much work we have to do um, in as men in really um, understanding like sports problem with um, domestic violence and, and just mistreatment of women in general and how to cover that within the sports realm. The, the thing is like, it'll be a conversation for a while, but then we'll just tuck behind the schedule of sports. Like that's the thing about sports, the constant churn. And that's what COVID interrupted for four months, damn near. It's that right. constant churn and like the conversation just shifts. And so we start to treat these things like it's just a game. You know, like, oh, like he had a bad month. He was on the three game losing streak and now he's hot again. He's got Trevor Lawrence and he's got a chance to build something and something that he's never done before in the NFL and all that. And all this stuff gets excused. And then when somebody is smart enough to bring it back into the conversation, they get shouted down as being these revisionist type thinkers. Uh, and that's problematic. And so ultimately to me, like it's, it's even bigger than Urban Meyer. Like we got so much work to do. We got so many complicated stories. 
there's that story, which is very different than say the Deshaun Watson story, which is in, entangled in football right now. Like all we're hearing in the Deshaun Watson story right now is like, uh, oh, is he practicing? He's there at camp. Um, people care more can, about their fantasy teams. And this yeah. guy allegedly he he, he did improper impropriety with 22 women. Yeah. And, you know, is he going to play? Are the is Texans going to be able to trade well, him? But that's like the All same thing stuff. when they get uh, PED suspensions. They're like, oh, my yeah. God, he was on my fantasy team. I'm like, wait and, a minute. Aren't you offended that he took performance enhancing drugs? So it's kind of like we talk about next man up all the time. It's also like next issue up. And it's just like a thing. And these things aren't affecting to us the way that they should be. And you're right. Like, uh, at the, it, it would be great if we sat on and really scrutinized and probed Urban Meyer. And in an ideal world, and in, in, in a world that didn't involve sports, he doesn't get to graduate up and get an even better job. Right. <laughs> and so it says something terrible well, about sports. if you or sports. I did something like that, we would yeah. not be high. Like, if you did that, you would not be rehired at the Washington Post. I would not have a job if, and we, so, if, if yeah. we were involved in something like that. And we get that, like, Urban Meyer is an exceptional coaching talent. We, we all understand that. Uh, but still, like, there, there has to be some integrity there. And that, that's, you know, I mean, we'll see how he handles things with, with Jacksonville. But if something else pops up that Urban Meyer does that's inappropriate, uh, you know, that's on the Jaguars. They're going to have to wear that. And, and um, yeah, it just – it's uh, – it's 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 really difficult to deal with those kinds of stories, and it's really difficult to know when you're being sanctimonious about it, yeah. And also when, uh, you know, you're not being forceful enough. No, that's fair. That's that's totally fair. And here's uh, the thing about it, Seth. It's not always an us conversation in sort of this male dominant sports society. Like, we should do a better job of listening to and understanding the women's concerns about it. We really should. Well, I think now, because of everything that other women have sacrificed, I think now is a perfect opportunity for young women to ascend in this business over uh, especially a white male. Um, I think that, you know, again, think about it from a student standpoint. If you have you know, three students that are that are uh, graduating at, at uh, with the same skill set. You know, one person A is a a, a white man, uh, person B is a black man, uh, person C is a woman. In any race, the B or C is getting hired. If they have the same skill set, B and C is getting hired first. That's never existed in our society, and. I think now in sports media, especially electronic media, radio and television, um, to be able to uh, look in the mirror and say that you're an ally is so important to people. You know, I teach a a, a podcasting class uh, at Syracuse and we had our our guests for the semester picked. And the first thing an executive said to me was, I noticed you don't have any women there. I'm like, I didn't know any women podcasting executives to, you know what I mean? I wasn't trying mm-hmm. to click a box. I, I think that I hope women seize these opportunities 
because the opportunities are going to be there. And I talked to a student just this morning before we recorded this podcast, and she's going for jobs that I just think she will get a second glance. If 50 people are going for it, they're going to hire a woman or a minority. They're going to. And you could argue that that is what society should do. But I hope that young people hearing this seize those opportunities because still talent wins out. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think like the, the perspective on like what talent is also like we have to like, who's the judge of talent? You know, I think about that a lot when I think about baseball and they start to decide like who's who's really good and who's not. Um, uh and like, what are we going to invest in? It's a lot, it's easiest to go where everybody is. Like, you know, um, you know, that's where the pool is. Sometimes it's it's harder to invest in these areas, you know, sort of like I think about like the um, the NBA and what they're really trying to do with, with Africa and uh, Toronto's general manager, Masai Ujiri yeah, and, and like uh, the globalization of the game in general, but they're really, you know, Masai, has said so often, like, there could be 10 Joel Embiid's walking in Africa right now. It is incumbent upon us because basketball is going to be better if we can find those guys. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the same thing. Like, sports is going to be better to me um, when – the, the voices of the game are diversified um, by race, race and ethnicity, also by gender. Like, I, I think when, you know, I think there are some really young, rising um, female broadcasters uh -huh. who really have the ability to be captivating voices of the game, like a, like a Joe Buck or, or whoever you want to, you want to put, you know, Mike Breen, you know, those types. Uh -huh. um, and we are even closer to the moment in which a female is going to lead an NBA team. You know, yep. Becky Hammond is right there on the doorstep. Uh, Don Staley should be. Uh, and there's more. Melanie there's, Newman. I meant to say Melanie Newman with the Orioles is doing a remarkable job. Yes. And so, like, I think that's going to make it better. Like, I, I mean, I think about, think about this, Seth. I, I think, like, um, uh, one of, one of the editors who was just great, and I, I, she was only my sports editor for a short time when I was an intern uh, and early in my career when I went back to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Inquirer, her name was Nancy Cooney. Uh -huh. She was so instrumental in like getting me off the ground, getting my career off the ground. When I came to Seattle, uh, Kathy Hinkle was the sports editor and she was so instrumental in getting me to be more ambitious uh, with my journalism. Uh, I think about, um, you know, after David Boardman was the executive editor of the Seattle Times, uh, Kathy Best got the job and she was the editor when, when I left. Um, she and the Washington Post. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the Washington Post at one point had every beat writer uh, all, of all a major team. All four major beat writers were women. The Nationals, uh, yes. the Capitals, the Wizards and the Washington football team. And beyond that, like Sally Jenkins is the best columnist in the country. <laughs> and yeah. if, she, and if you don't agree, like you can't say three names without saying her name. Yeah. And uh, like her example has been tremendous for me. And 
you know, now we have Sally Busby as the uh, top editor at the Washington Post. And um, I think she's going to do a tremendous job. And I think of like, you know, on our managing editor lines, um, you know, there are uh, several women in charge there who are just instrumental um, in, in helping to shape me. And so I, I say all that, um, you know, I've had, you know, for more than 20 years, a successful career in sports journalism, and it has been powered by females who have made decisions. Um, there, if you don't think Becky Hammond can't get through to men, you're a fool. If you don't think Don Staley, North Philly Don Staley, uh, can't get through to men and motivate them, you're a fool. And as a matter of fact, when, when, when guys understand that that's the new norm, um, you know, there's a certain way, like, I mean, I love like, uh, female leadership matriarchy, as opposed to patriarchy, like they have a, a different kind of way of like demanding excellence from you. Um, that's going to be just fine in sports. There ain't going to be no problems once that's established. And once you empower the person now, when you give a job that, you know, it's gotta be the right job for Becky or Don or whoever um steps forward and then you know one day we're gonna have uh hopefully you know big time position coaches in football who are females maybe one day before we're done we will have like coordinator level female coaches i, I you know i i just think like once that door gets opened and once you see that they can be successful I think like that wall is going to come down fast and I think that's going to be good for all of us. And there's going to be a lot of guys who resist that, who want it to remain like a bro thing, but like, I'm tired of like the bro spaces of sports. I just am like, um, I'm totally tired of it because I think some of the stuff that we say is just dumb BS. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's what we all grew up with and we've seen it. Uh, can we do one more? One more. Yeah, absolutely. All right. One more. Um, there's all this talk about vaccines and vaccine and sports. And I mean, there's still baseball teams that are not completely vaccinated. It's it, football teams. There was one this week. Uh, I think the Atlanta Falcons are hundred percent vaccinated, but the guy who um, impressed me um, and really moved me was Ron Rivera the coach of the Washington uh, football team who apparently is getting a name, uh, but nobody knows that was a great story. Was that the Washington post? They're getting a name. Nobody knows when, and nobody knows what, but yes. they're getting a name. Okay. By next uh, year. Yeah. Right. Um, but Ron Rivera, not the guardians, please don't uh, let it be the guardians. That was so bad. That was so bad. I don't understand that. Um, I love that Seattle like heard their fans and they named them the Kraken. As crazy as that is, they just said, yeah, you know what? That's what the fans want. We're doing it. They, they were clamoring for Cleveland spiders. They were clamoring yes. for spiders and you couldn't, you couldn't do it. You, you just your logos look good. Everything, oh man. You had your chance. I don't understand. But Ron Rivera just, he moved me because He's, you know, a cancer survivor. He has no immune system whatsoever. And the way he was saying, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he was saying, I can't look at you 
and not think about it. I'm trying to coach you. I'm trying to focus and trying to have this be about the team and about your X's and O's and about being a good coach for you. And there's so many people on that team that are not vaccinated. And all I thought was I want to take Ron Rivera and have him do a media tour because I don't care if you are a Republican Democrat. I don't care if you are red, blue, green, purple. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care if you don't even tell me what gender you are. What watch Ron Rivera. If Ron Rivera can't get you to get vaccinated, nothing will. And I just wonder how, like, you don't have to be, I don't need to see more doctors doing commercials. I don't need to see, (laughs) you know, politicians. I don't want to hear more politicians. Get Ron Rivera on every legitimate television and radio news program in the next 10 days. Just have him do a media tour because that was so genuine and so real. And that's what we're not talking about. Yeah, it was a, it was an amazing um, plea that really got me, but I think we're, you know, as he expressed, we're just so lost in disinformation that I'm not sure you can tell anybody anything that they don't want to hear. And um, you know, I mean, in, in some ways that applies to both sides. Um, but like, you know, I, as a truth seeker, I know what the truth is, uh, but like, it's just, um, it's incredibly frustrating. And I think sports has been a reflection of that. Like, I, I think overall, like sometimes we get lost in, um, cases and, uh, we get lost in some of the dumb, like the ridiculously dumb, Cole Beasley type stuff that people say, or just the ridiculously like um, anti-leadership that someone like a Dak Prescott Scott may say, you know, and not like stepping forward. I'll even put LeBron James on blast about this. You know, I assume that he's gotten the vaccine, um, but he wouldn't even come out and say whether he had gotten it or not. You're sending a terrible message to people, but I think all in all, like, I mean, when you look around and you start seeing some of these teams and they're saying like, we got 80, 80%, 81%, we got 94%. Um, it's really going to be hard to get large groups of people, especially football teams. When you're talking like 53 active, you know, what, 60 or so in the locker room, it's going to be hard to get to a hundred percent. And I think we do have to be um, somewhat understanding of uh vaccination fear that people have and their deep reasons for that. Uh, but I said, I don't have any tolerance for like dumb stuff, you know, and I don't have any tolerance for like this. I got to know more. And it'll be like, well, have you talked to Dr. Seals about it? No, I haven't talked to Dr. Seals, but I need more information. If you need more information, the freaking chief medical officer of the NFL is readily available for you. And you're not seeking him right. um, or, you know, your, your NBA, NBA PA, your MLB PA, all of that. Like they have got all that information and they're ready to share it with you. They're ready to have a reasonable conversation with you. And you're just still resistant. And your whole, bu- your whole career is about your body. As a, your whole career is about your availability to play. Yeah. And like, that's not even making an appeal to you. So you won't get this 
but then you'll go take this um, painkiller that's slowly eating away at like your kidney function <laughs> um, without hesitation because you want to get back in the game. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. And I don't like, it, it's disheartening to me um, just where we are in society with that and where we are, like, uh, you see it all the time. And, and I know you like, you still have a connection to sports radio and I've stepped on it a few times, like doing guest appearances on KJR. Anytime you bring up vaccination, like all the phone line, you know, like the text line just starts buzzing and like, you don't know what you're talking about. And da, 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 da. It's like, no, I'll tell you right now, I know what I'm talking about. Vaccinations are our best chance. And we got to we got to be willing to understand that. I think it's gonna, the, the long term ramifications based on what we know right now. You're just going to be in a better spot. And like the country's going to be in, in a better spot. My final point, Seth, is just social responsibility. Like the thing that disheartens me the most is like we talk about all these things in these grand terms about what it means to be an American, what it means to be a patriot, blah, 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 blah. Social responsibility is a huge part of living in the country that you're living in. Because you don't get to live in a box and you don't get to live in a bubble. You have to be thinking about who your, your neighbors and like how that affects your neighbors. Um, you're not gonna like burn a fire in the middle of the city and risk threatening burning down a whole city block because you have a social responsibility. And that's what I wish people would understand. And I just wish that athletes would stop sending such an ignorant message about it. And that's where it's like that, the athletes feeling empowered to speak out, like please speak out about things that you have deeply thought about because your words do carry weight. And I don't think they understand in this moment um, you know, how much weight their words carry. Well, I didn't notice just how conservative baseball was uh, until this, until this vaccine talk and masks and things like that. Uh, Cause maybe uh, ignorance is bliss. You know, I just, I, I, I didn't think about, you know, any particular baseball team and, you know, what people's political leanings were. I never care. Well, and that's the other thing, like, you know, the politicization of health. Like, yo, like it's a health issue. This ain't got nothing to do. It should not be divided on liberal, nope. conservative or anything. It just, but it, is. it shouldn't, it shouldn't, but it is. And the funny thing about it is, is these people who like have these deep beliefs because of a political leaning on both sides, like your political leaders have gotten vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> and like, Seth, I got to tell you, like, this is sort of like the rich, um, the rich person, but I like to call it the rich white man theory. Yeah. If the, when the vaccines came out, when you saw rich people jumping the line and manipulating to get that vaccine, yeah, yeah. that's just send the message to that's you that the you vaccine is pretty right. good. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, it's all you need to know. And so these people that you're like, you know, being a stand for, um, they've already gotten vaccinated and you're the fool. Like, what are you doing? I <laughs> so I never really understand that, but that's, you know. No, but Lamar Jackson, you know, just the other day, he's just not helping. Just No, he's not. And the media, you know, first of all, if the guy who was in the media, Zoom or whatever it was, uh, didn't already know that Lamar Jackson hadn't gotten the vaccine, he asks him, and now how many people are not getting the vaccine because of what Lamar Jackson just said? 
was that good journalism? Did that help? Uh, it gets, you know, yeah, it gets dangerous and we have to be smart. And we really, yeah. we, we, I mean, the stakes are so much higher in what we do and every mistake that we make. Um, is exacerbated. Yes, because like truth is under attack. And, uh, you know, the, I never saw more vitriol on social media than COVID. Last yeah. year, I think I lost 1,600 followers because wow. I said things like wear a mask. I said things simple. I didn't, I didn't think. Well, the two things I didn't think most were I didn't think college football should have happened because I thought that the kids were being used as sacrificial lambs. We didn't know the long-term health effects. We still don't. We don't know. And these kids were being just pushed because these universities, you know, push, push them to do it. That was one. And then the other one was um, I didn't think baseball should have happened. I think baseball has a collective bargaining issue going on. And when the when the NHL announced an extension of their CBA for years with Don Fear as their head of their union, I said baseball should have gassed 2020, blamed it on COVID. People would have been mad for about 10 minutes because if you remember, that's when the NBA and the NHL came back. Right. And locked themselves. The joke I said on this podcast was Tony Clark and, and Rob Manfred uh, locked themselves in a room. Uh, quarantine for 14 days or whatever the rules uh, were at the time and don't come out without a collective bargaining agreement. If it takes a year. <laughs> They'd still be in a room. <laughs> because if you think about it, you know, NFL stadiums are going to be open, right? Like everything's going to be open pretty much a hundred percent now. And we're, we're getting to that point. And now you're going to have a labor stoppage. Yeah. Is, is society better now? Cause back then you thought people were like, Baseball reads all the tweets. You know what I mean? But yeah. when I said that, there were people who wanted me to just talk about baseball coverage, and I didn't want the season to happen. I thought that playoff thing was hodgepodge. I thought the, the Marlin situation was hodgepodge. The story about Lou Williams going to the strip club, leaving the NBA bubble to, <laughs> to go to the funeral, and then he goes to the strip club. And then six days later, they find out that six members of the Miami Marlins went to the same strip club and nobody knew. And I called my buddy with the Marlins and I said, I said, I said, six guys on your team went to the same strip club. He goes, they could have been in uniform. Nobody would have known who they were. And it's just, <laughs> and it's, just it's just funny the way uh, sports goes. Um, Jerry, this has been a blast. I feel like I could do three more hours with you. I, I, I uh, I have enjoyed reading you from a distance. I've listened to you on KJR a bunch, but uh, please come back to the show and let's just keep in touch, man. Oh, absolutely, man. I appreciate this. That's uh, Jerry. How can people find you uh, on online? You, uh, you can go to WashingtonPost.com slash Brewer. There you go. And uh, I'm always on Twitter. Uh, well, I'm sort of on Twitter. I, I have a love-hate relationship, but that's uh, at Jerry Brewer. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you, he's online. So do us a favor. If there's anything in this podcast that you heard that you have a particular issue with, uh, reach out to Jerry directly and leave me the hell out. <laughs> you know, you're going to be tagged on it. And it, it's very likely that I will not reply because I, I have made an oath not to get into Twitter arguments with people. I know, so but not I that probably I hate use you, that. Just, I don't want to get into arguments. I probably use that for like 150 episodes, and every reaction is completely different. 
I love it. Every re- every person we have on the show has a completely different reaction to to that line. Some people are like, "No, I don't want to hear from you." No, on the other people are like, "Yes, please, I engage with me. I want that." It's everybody has a, a, a different attitude. Uh, Jerry, this has been a blast. Thanks, thanks again, man. All right, anytime, man. Appreciate you. That is Jerry Brewer. Thank you for listening to Sports with Friends. Don't forget, the show comes out on Wednesdays. I can't thank you enough for listening. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. Smile, come on, please. I'm gone. Forget reaching my phone because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have.